Yeah, it told me too. Yeah. Hello, hello, and a big welcome to all of you out there who are listening or seeing this program here. And uh, we have a very special guest today, Solang Elish. Hi! And uh, you have been with me before. and I uh, did. Yeah, and we were talking about you have so much to to share with people, so I'm so happy that you are here again. I'm so, happy too. So please tell us a, a little about what you're doing because it's not everybody who had seen you before. Right. So my name is Solange and I've been teaching riding lessons and training horses for 24 years here in Ohio in the United States. And I own my own facility. We have 17 horses. But the most important thing I think about my barn is that two years ago, I built a custom rider lab. So I took a building on my farm and I devoted it to a space for riders to train in off their horse on specific tools. Because the action of physical riding requires humans to learn certain motions that are very riding specific. So even if you run or swim or bike or go to the gym a lot, it's not the same muscles and it's not the same motions. And traditionally, we have to learn those physical skills on the back of a horse, which is complicated because you're busy riding a horse. <laughs> so you don't have a lot of time to think about yourself. You're managing their speed and you're steering them. And maybe there's other people in the arena or you're outside and there's trees and mud and holes. So the riders don't get a lot of time and space to really concentrate on what their left foot is doing or if they're leaning or if they're looking down. And it's hard because you're constantly dealing with the horse. So by taking the horse out, the rider can sit on these different tools that are just like riding a horse and they can concentrate on their own body. So we have an equisizer, which is a wooden horse that was designed by Frankie Lovato, who was a racehorse jockey. And he designed it to help racehorse riders rehab. So I teach probably the most on my equisizer because it's horse shaped and it moves like a horse. We have a home horse, which looks like a top with a saddle on top and it spins around. So riders can sit on it and they can move their hips all over. And then we have a mighty Bucky, which is a bull riding trainer. So it's a big barrel and it tips this way. So we can put people on it and we can make it buck and we can make it rear, but we can also make it rear and then buck, which is like when you jump. So a lot of my jumpers will put a saddle on it and they'll practice the, okay, I'm two pointing. Okay. I'm landing sort of motion. And that's been really handy. So the lab has been um, where I've done a lot of my creation of my riding system over the last couple of years, because it's been much more popular than I thought. I always knew the lab would make my life easier because it'd be easier for me to teach people. And I knew that it'd make the students' lives easier because they'd learn faster. And then I realized very quickly, it makes my horses' lives easier because they're standing <laughs> eating. Well, they're like, you know what, lady, go learn that in the lab and then come back to me when you know how. <laughs> so the horses really benefit from it too. And I think last time I talked to you, I spoke to you inside of my lab because my goat was there. Scooter, yes, my goat. I remember. <laughs> yeah. 
but it's very cold here today. In Ohio, we had a polar vortex. So there's like a bunch of snow outside and it's very cold. So I decided to talk to you in here in my house, in my office. But also because in the last year, I've taught a lot of riding lessons just like this on Zoom. So more and more riders are starting to book what I call like remote lessons with me, where they send me videos and pictures ahead of time. And then we meet on Zoom and I can share my screen and I can play their videos and then I can pause and I have a drawing tablet and I can draw on the tablet, which draws on the screen. So I've done a lot of those. And also riders that have like a Pixum or a Pivo, which are like the cameras that follow them. Yeah. And I wasn't sure when I started remote lessons, if it would work. You know, I taught in person for over 20 years and I found that it's really, really helpful to riders oftentimes because since they're not on the horse, they can think a little bit clearer and they ask better questions that are more specific to what they're thinking about. And then I think we can talk through the answer easier because their horse isn't like, I don't want to stand here anymore. I got to walk around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the Zoom lessons have been really, really helpful and have allowed me to teach a much wider group of riders, which is really important to me because otherwise, you know this, you're stuck with the people who live by you. Yes. You know, which is very limiting. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the riding instruction that I give and what I did in the last year, really, since I spoke to you, and then all the interesting things that I have going on this year. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds re really good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so last year, since I talked to you, myself and my co-instructor, Kane Maxwell, who is a riding instructor and like a biomechanics specialist. We taught 14 rider intensives. So in the past at my barn, I've done a couple rider intensives where a rider will fly into me from far away and they stay nearby and they come to my barn and they train six hours a day for three days. And wow. Yes. <laughs> well, hold on. It's not as scary as it sounds. So the riders that would fly in for these intensives before are what I call my adventure riders. And these in the past have always been riders who are preparing for the Mongol Derby, which is the world's longest horse race in Mongolia. And when you're in the Mongol Derby, you ride 30 of the semi-feral native herder ponies, 600 kilometers, I think. It might be 500. It's very far. It takes about 10 days. You have 10 days to complete the journey. And you ride three horses a day and they have horse stations. You navigate. And the horses are very small mm -hmm. and they're not, they're mostly wild. So there's a lot of falling off. And the riders who come to me are looking for real functional, real world practical riding instruction. How do I stay on this horse when this happens? And that's something that here in the United States, we don't have a lot of because it's usually show training. This is how to look pretty on your horse and win a ribbon, or this is how to jump these courses in this amount of time and be fastest or run around these barrels and be fastest or shoot these targets with a gun or with an arrow off your horse. So there's not a lot of practical functional riding instruction. I call it real world riding. That's what 
I specialize in. And I do that because I spent a lot of time fox hunting. It's kind of the same thing. So in the past, we've had these riders come in and do these intensives. And it was mostly, like I said, all Mongolian Derby riders. So this past year, I talked about it a little bit more on social media, and it was a lot of word of mouth. And 14 different riders came. Some were local. Some came from as far as the other side of the United States, like um, Washington State and Oregon, which is all the way the other side than from where I am. We had one lady come down from Canada. And while three of those riders were adventure riders, one came before the Mongol Derby in August and was here for three days. Her name was Jessie. She had a really good derby. And then we had a married couple, actually, a wife and a husband, Heidi and John. They came separately from one another. The wife came for three days. And then, the, like, I think a month or two later, the husband came for three days. Because together, as a couple, they're riding in the Gaucho Derby, which is in Patagonia, which is a really beautiful place. And the horses down there are really interesting. So if you haven't seen the horses and, like, the body type of them for the Gaucho Derby in Patagonia, you should totally Google it because... They look like, they look kind of like drafty Arabs almost. They're really fascinating. I'd love to ride one. So we had our adventure riders who came in and Heidi and John's Gaucho Derby race starts soon in February. So we're all very excited to like watch them and see how they do. Um, but we had a lot of other riders and a lot of the riders who came for the intensives were just looking for, I think, a higher level of instruction and the ability to have the time to ask questions. And this past year with all of these riders that came for the intensives, they did about half and half. So it was about three hours on horses and about three hours in the lab on tools. And one of the riders who came and did intensive was in her mid seventies. And I told her, she's like, is it going to be too much? And I'm like, look, it's, you can do it at whatever speed works for you because it's your intensive. So some people go, I'd love to do an intensive with you, but I'm not in good enough shape. I'm not ready yet. And I go, don't wait, come now. We'll help you get in shape. Yeah, you know? that's a point to get in yeah. shape. Yeah. yeah, don't wait. I always tell people, don't clean your house before the house cleaner comes. <laughs> don't like make sure your horse is good before I show up. That's why I'm there. <laughs> so that process of teaching all those riders in the lab really helped me sort of clarify the type of riding instruction that I wanted to teach, but more importantly, the kind of riding instruction that was needed because I had long periods of time with riders from all over who were saying the same thing to me over and over again. And they would say, I don't really want to be pretty. I don't need to look really beautiful on my horse, but I want to stay on and I want to be happy and I want to be able to achieve my goals and their goals oftentimes other than our adventure riders aren't huge goals they want to trail ride they want to go out and ride with their friends they want to go to a schooling show and have fun and it's almost like these riders felt I think some shame or guilt or judgment over the fact that they didn't have giant goals, they weren't trying to be in the Olympics or the high point champion, you know? And because they had, I guess, smaller goals, their instructors didn't take them, I think, sometimes as seriously, right? 
So I took all this data that I'd gotten from spending, you know, a lot of time one-on-one with these riders, much more than I have when I teach an hourly lesson, right? Because we talk so much over six hours and realized that I wanted to create a riding system that was simple and stable and sustainable for all riders, regardless of their age, their gender, their height, their weight, what type of horse they had, what type of saddle they chose, or what type of riding they wanted to do. And I can do that because it's based on the human skeleton and the horse skeleton, right? So there's only so many ways that human bones sit on horse bones. And then when you take that in consideration with gravity pulling us towards the ground and forward movement of the horse traveling forward, you get just certain positions that you can put your body in that will make you stable and certain positions that if you put your body in, you're not stable anymore. And because of that, I created this riding system called Stable Riding. And it now has a name and I've got a business card (laughs) and all that, all that big girl business stuff. But what I decided to do was contact a company Um, called Equine Affair. And Equine Affair is a national horse expo in the United States. And they've been around, I think it's 30 years. And they have three every year. They have one in California. They have one two hours from my house in Columbus, Ohio, and one, I believe, in Massachusetts. And Equine Affair is four days long. They have four rings going with demos and clinics and presenters, and they have an exhibition space with booths. And over those four days, 62,000 people come to Equine Affair. Isn't that crazy? So many people. It's a huge deal. So I called them and I spoke to them this past summer and I said, could I apply to be a clinician and a presenter you know, would this sort of riding system be something that would be a good fit? And they said, yes. So in April, which feels very soon, I'll be at Equine Affair by my house and I'll have a booth. But more importantly, I think I'll have two clinics that I teach where people apply to ride with me. And this is going to be the first time that I sort of present stable riding to like the whole world on a big stage. So I'm very I might even wear makeup. Ooh. (laughs) Right? You say that to a horsewoman, you know it's I might even brush my hair, Anne. Whoa. (laughs) You know, stability in the saddle or stability on your horse's back, it lets riders be more emotionally calm, right? So they feel like they can not worry about if their horse is going to spook or if somebody else's horse is going to be bad or if this person's going to start the tractor, right? Mm -hmm. Because when a rider doesn't feel stable in their own body on the horse, and you can't lie to them, you can't look at a rider and go, you're stable, you're fine. They know that they're wobbly, right? You can't fake it. When a rider doesn't feel stable, They get concerned and nervous and anxious and worried and maybe even fearful that 
something will happen, their horse will act away or something will happen in their environment and then their horse will act away and then they'll fall off and they'll get hurt. And this pulls riders out of being present with their horse. You know, now they're worried about the thing their horse did last week or they're worried about the thing their horse might do in five minutes. Mm. I had a lady once tell me coming to her riding lesson that she drove the whole way here in her car, worried that I was going to ask her to canter with her feet out of her stirrups. And she spent the whole lesson worried that I was going to ask her to canter with her feet out of her stirrups. And she didn't really hear a lot of what I was saying. I didn't ask her to, by the way, that wasn't even my plan, but she was so worried about something that might happen in the future. She was very disconnected from her horse. Right. The horse needs you to be present with what it's saying to you. So I find that when we make riders more stable, when we gift them with instruction that's specific but clear, and then they can experiment with it in the lab and they can find trust in their own bodies, that their body can do it and that they can do it. When they get on their horse or any horse, they're able to communicate with it better and in real time the horse is a lot happier yeah because the communication's better you know horses have i call them big feelings your horse will have a big feeling right whatever it is so let's say that the horse gets scared by something and let's say it's something that should totally scare them you know like there was an ostrich and they're like oh my god it's an ostrich <laughs> and you look at him and you're like look horse that ostrich it surprised me too. I didn't expect to see an ostrich in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. So the horse has a big reaction. In that moment that the horse is having a big feeling, that's the one time where the horse needs you mm -hmm. to calmly communicate with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the one time where the rider has to disconnect from the horse and just try and stay on. Mm -hmm. And you go, hey, horse, sorry you're upset and you're looking at me for guidance and reinsurance, but I'm up here trying to stay on. Yeah. And then the horse goes, you know, the one time that I was upset, you abandoned me. Mm. I needed you and you weren't there. And now the horse is a little like, I don't know about this lady. Mm. Right? Right. Whereas if you can be stable when your horse gets afraid of the ostrich mm -hmm. and you sit back and you keep your hands down and you use your stirrups for support because that's what your stirrups are there for you can go hey dude seriously that ostrich totally scared me too mm -hmm. but it's okay you're fine and then you can continue riding right yeah. so stability on the rider's end is hugely beneficial to the horse because now you can communicate with the horse but also I find that when I put a rider in a stable position, the horse travels better. The horse can move with the human on its back mm. in a more balanced fashion, right? Of course, yeah. If you're bouncy or leany or, you know, unbalanced, the horse is like, this is hard. So even if you're a rider who maybe doesn't lack confidence, or even if you're a rider who doesn't feel like they have confusion or questions about riding even if you just want to empower and enable your horse to travel better because maybe you're asking it to jump big fences or you're asking it to perform higher level lateral movements and dressage or you're asking it to carry you a long distance we talk to a lot to endurance riders who ride like 
50 or 75 or 100 miles. I don't know what that is in kilometers, but it's a lot. <laughs> in one day, yes. you know, you're, now you're asking your horse to perform a difficult physical skill for you. Being more stable makes it easier for the horse to do it. So I always say that I feel like I'm helping the horses by helping their riders. Because oftentimes the horses don't really need a lot of help. You know, I tell riders, I'm like, that horse has been being a horse since it was born. Yes. That horse just walk, trots, and caters around all the time. He's fine. The horse isn't like, hold on. I have to what now? I don't remember how to trot. I need to read the manual. <laughs> it's the riders who don't know because they didn't grow up being a horse. Right? That's right. Yeah. I feel that most of the time, and I'm sure you see this too, it's the human who needs more instruction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because horses know how to be horses. We don't have to tell them. They're really good at it. They've been doing it their whole life. Yeah. And in spite of the fact that we both agree that the humans need most of the instruction in the horse world and in the horse industry, which is an industry designed, you know, to make money. Most of what is sold to riders is horse training. DVDs on how to train your horse, books on how to train your horse, clients or clinics on how to train your horse, right? Go watch this guy. He'll tell you how to train your horse. Because I think that horse training sometimes is seen as being more glamorous than riding instructors, you know? at least here in the United States, the horse trainer is like the head of the, the barn. Like that's like the cool guy, you know? Yeah, you're right. I haven't thought about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then the lady that teaches the little kids to ride. Well, she's just, she's just the little kid instructor. Yeah, that's right. And I always thought that that social hierarchy where the horse trainer was like, a bigger deal than the riding instructor was so strange because if you rode really well you probably wouldn't need a horse trainer because you could yeah. probably just ride your horse yes like I understand I don't know how to teach him how to jump or I can't figure out how to get him to you know engage his left hind more in his pee off like I get that but most horse trainers are just sort of fixing and helping the horses of riders who have difficulty riding them. Whereas if you just taught that person to ride, they wouldn't need you as much. So I always thought it was really odd how we put so much value and weight on horse trainers and such little value and weight on riding instructors mm -hmm. who were really doing the real work. Right. Yeah. So I push back against that, Anne. And, and then also inside of riding instructors that the really cool riding instructor teaches the really good riders, but the beginning riding instructor teaches the beginners. And I think that the person who teaches the beginners has the more important job. It's the groundwork. Yes. A hundred percent. They're laying the foundation. Yes. And they, they're, they're in control of the very first things that that rider experiences mm -hmm. and hears and the muscle memory of their position in their body. And how to treat the horse. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how you teach it in your part of the world, because I'm sure it's, you know, it's a different language and everything, but we teach people to post their trot 
by saying oftentimes up, down, up, down, up, down. And there's a teacher who stands in the middle of a ring with a bunch of little kids on ponies. Yeah. And she counts, you know, up, down, up, down, and teaches little kids how to post, right? Okay, yeah. Well, those are called in like amongst riding instructors privately, up downers, those kinds of lessons. And I know so many riding instructors who will stand in the barn and go, I don't teach up downers. And I'm like, dude, how do you not want to teach a cute little kid on a pony? First of all, they're adorable. And second of all, you're not too good to teach a beginner. Only the best teachers should teach the beginners because they're in charge of all of it, right? Mm -hmm. But what it causes in the horse world is there's like, there's a judgment part, even on the professionals of, well, if you just teach little kids or you just teach beginners or you're only teaching scared riders, you're not like doing it really cool, you know? And I think that that's harmful for the instructors because we should want everybody to be stable. We should want all riders to be happy because ultimately the more happy, stable riders we have, the more good horse owners we're creating. If you want to have horses who have good homes, you have to create riders who love horses and care for them well. And I see that same like judgment and shame and guilt and worry in the riders. Like the riders feel like they should be doing something with their horse. And I think we've talked about this, yeah. right? Yes. There's so much pressure and judgment from other riders and people at the barn and the social media, what people see on Instagram. My horse is too good for me. Uh, yeah. I have to sell it because I can't do right. the things that he is made for. Yeah. He's, he's just made to be a horse man, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I've always said that if the owner is physically and financially taking care of the horse responsibly, it doesn't matter if they ride it no. or if they ride it a little or if they ride it a lot. Cause like we say, the horse doesn't care. No. He just wants to be safe and well cared for and healthy, yeah. you know? So there's, I think, a lot of judgment that needs to be eliminated from riders because they feel like they're not good enough. They feel like they'll never learn how to do it well. They feel like they're not in enough shape. I'm not strong enough. I taught a series of lessons in a different state. In October, I went to Egypt and I rode horses for 10 days in Egypt, which was a lot of fun. I went with Ride Egypt. Um, and they were amazing. But before that, I flew down to South Carolina to meet my friend. And while I was there, she introduced me to a bunch of riders. And I taught a bunch of new riders three days of riding lessons before we left for Egypt together. And one of the first things I teach a rider is how to stand up in their stirrups, how to put their weight on their stirrups and strength, st stand up straight because it helps their balance and it lets them access their stirrups with their body weight for support. And I taught a lot of adult women. I taught a couple men, but a lot of adult women. And I'd go, can you stand up in your stirrups? And they all said, one of three things, if not all three things. And it really stuck in my head, And They went, I'm too old. I can't stand up my stirrups. 
I'm not strong enough. My legs are too weak. I can't stand up my stirrups. Or, and this is my favorite, my butt's too big. I can't pick it up. None of these women even had big butts. So I don't know where this was coming from. And I would look at them all and I said, before you got on your horse, you were standing on the ground with your legs. Yes. Your legs obviously can hold you up. Mm. And what holds you up when you're standing on the ground is your leg bones. Mm. And your femur, which is the big bone between your knee and your hip, is a pretty big bone. And it's been holding you up your whole life. So you can indeed stand up. Now I had to adjust their stirrups and show them how to do it. But once they put their leg bones the way their leg bones go, they were able to stand up no problem. Mm -hmm. And these were all riders who'd been riding seriously for couple years, if not couple decades, who owned their own horses, owned their own tack, had trucks and trailers, like they were kind of far in, Anne. But they didn't believe that they could stand up because they were and, too and, old, too weak, or their butt was too big. Yeah, and, and many think that when you have long stirrups, you sit better on the horse because you can hold on tight. But that yeah. is not a fact. Mm -mm. I find that incorrect stirrup length is the most common position flaw that I see. Mm -hmm. And I'm often changing stirrups two or three holes. Yeah. And in the Western saddles that we have here in the United States, those holes are punched an inch. Yeah. So three holes is <laughs> really far, you know, and I have to do it like one hole at a time. Yeah, one hole, ride around a little bit. Let's try another hole, another hole. Because if I do all three, the rider's like, what? I can't and imagine, yeah. I tell them, they go, I've been having so much trouble posting. I don't feel comfortable cantering on trail. And I say to them, I couldn't do that if my stirrups were three holes too long or oh. three holes too short either. That wasn't a you can't do it problem. That was your and equipment was misadjusted problem. But when riders are struggling with their horse or struggling in their riding, they almost always default to it's them. Yeah. You know, I can't do this. And they always can, Anne. They just need a little bit of help. Yeah. So that's really what I want to do with stable riding in the next year is I want to open it up so that it's available to all riders everywhere, because I think all riders deserve to be stable. And I think that all horses deserve stable riders on their back. So that's really, that's really my goal. And that's really why I was so excited to be able to talk to you again today, because I just find the same problems over and over again, which is riders who think they can't do it because they haven't received the correct instructions and that's not a they can't do it problem that's a they're missing important information problem and i it makes me sad when i see them not believe in their ability to do it because it's not true they can do it mm -hmm. they just need better instruction yes and and it, it 
do a lot uh, of, of uh, things with you if if you believe I can't do this, I can't do that, and and horses have been your whole life, and now I yeah. can't ride, and oh yeah, it's terrible. Now that I teach grown-ups, my students cry, but for different reasons than when I taught little kids. Yeah. Because I taught little kids almost exclusively for 10 years. And I always used to tell them, I go, I'm very mean, you know. I make little kids cry all the time. And they'd go, not you, Miss Solange. You're so nice. <laughs> um, and I always had candy in my purse. That was the secret. Because if the kids started to cry, you went, hold on. I think we need a piece of candy. <laughs> I solved a lot of problems with Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> um, but now when I teach adults, I get a lot of tears of relief. Relief, yes. They're relieved. Yeah. Because sometimes they've been carrying this concern that they can't or this nervousness or anxiousness or this weird confusion. I've seen riders who've been carrying this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. And that's a long time to carry something around. Yes. So for them to be able to work through that and put that down and move forward without it, it's a relief. And every time it happens, it impacts me the same way. Like I feel the same. I feel it with them. Yes. Yes. You know? Just to see see the joy in their face when when something, wow, is it that easy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes like sometimes I get choked up too, and I'm like, dude, you're gonna make me cry. Yeah, you know, because I'm so happy for you, and it's such an impactful thing for them, you know. So that's what I want to continue to be able to do, because I think that's the most important work right now. I think it's the work that I can do. I don't think I can start building spaceships. I think that window has passed for me, and I think I'm too old. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> not too old. <laughs> um, and it's what seems to be really needed. Like if you listen to what the riders are saying over and over and over again, that's that's what they're saying they need. And I, that's why I love talking to you so much, because I feel like you're doing the same sort of thing mm -hmm. with your programs, because I think you're seeing the same cycle repeating where the rider is not confident or worried or nervous. And then it affects how the horse acts. And then the horse acts away, which means the rider more, you know, more nervous and less confident, right? right? It's sure. a cycle mm -hmm. and it needs to be addressed it's a need that needs to be filled and there's not a lot of professionals horse professionals who are dedicating themselves to that because i think most people who get into horses they want to ride they don't yeah. want to teach mm -hmm. you know they're riders who then had to teach in order to ride more whereas i always say i didn't really want to be a horse trainer when i was little i wanted to be a teacher you know i didn't play with toy horses i played school when I was little. Yeah. So, and then I just ended up being lucky enough to teach the subject that I am the most passionate about and I have the most, I guess, knowledge of. So that worked out really well for me, but I just see riders all the time who just need a little bit of help, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I, I oftentimes look at them and go, you have everything you need to do all the things you want to do. We just have to rearrange it like furniture in your living room. Yeah. So now you can help people all over the world. Yes, that is my goal because, you know, I think that the COVID pandemic really showed us that this remote platform is a lot more um, accessible than we once thought. You know, everybody's got the computers for it now or your phone can do it or your tablet. And oftentimes I'll have, like I said, the rider will, will set up a call and we'll say, okay, what are you working on? What do you want to talk about? What are you doing with your horse? And then depending on what their the rider's questions are, I'll ask for just really short videos. The videos do not have to be long at all. Like they can be like a minute of, you know, them traveling this direction or being at this gate or being in this riding position. Then they send them to me and I'll look at them ahead of time and I'll make notes and then we'll schedule the Zoom and we'll sit down together and I'll have a little folder on my computer with all their videos and all my notes. And then, Anne, I'd say 50% of the time, we don't even get to them because the rider's just asking questions, hmm. right? My horse did this and then I did that, but then this happened. Do you think that was the right thing? Or I was watching my friend ride and she did this, but then she did this thing. And that was because this trainer told her that. Or I had a trainer once that told me that this should happen. Or I went to a clinic and I watched a guy ride this way, or I read in a book somewhere and I often don't want to interrupt them because I find that what the student's interested in right then is yeah. what you should talk about, right? And for a while, and I noticed this first started happening when we did the intensives because I'd meet with the rider, you know, first thing in the morning. And I'd have them for a couple hours and then I'd switch off with my co-instructor and I'd have them on horses and the barn would be quiet because it's early and there's no one else there. And I think that that privacy is also very important because in horses, very rarely, especially if you're at a big barn, do you have the place to yourself? Yeah. Somebody's always around or you're in a public arena where other people can see. And I think uh, that makes looking. people... It makes a lot of people uncomfortable to learn or admit something they don't know or work on something they know they're not good at in public. Mm. So sort of the, the quiet nature of the intensives when the barn is closed or in the lab, which, like I said, is a separate building from the horses so I can close the doors makes a big difference because then people can relax. But these riders will come in and I won't really know them. They'll have flown in from somewhere else. And maybe I talk to them on the phone for a little bit. This is our first time meeting. And they will ask so many questions. And because we have many hours a day, every day, I take the time to answer all of them fully, which I wouldn't have time to do in an hour lesson, you know? And I find that I talk so much and I answer so many questions. I lose my voice. Isn't that awful? I don't even want to listen to myself talk that much. And the first couple of times it happened, I felt kind of weird about it. Like I'm supposed to be teaching this person how to ride, but instead I spent like two hours answering questions. Mm. But I realized as it kept happening over and over and over again, that was the really important part because you rarely have access to your instructor or trainer to just talk about your questions for that long. 
the traditional interaction between a student rider and the teacher, trainer, instructor, coaches, you're on the horse, they talk to you, maybe you can ask one question at the beginning or the end, then you got to get out of the arena because the next person's coming in. Yeah. So to have the time luxury to just ask all the questions that are on the top of your head was a game changer. And for a lot of students, that's what they needed. And it never occurred to me, like I didn't plan for that. I didn't realize it until it started happening. But so often people are just like, can I just sit down and talk to you for an hour about my horse? Because I have six really important questions. And I'll be like, absolutely. (laughs) We can do that easily. Yeah, Isn't that so interesting? And I think that's why the work that you do is so valuable is because you're providing a space in a community where people can access educated, non-judgmental information. Because, mm. oh my gosh, you cannot ask on Facebook because the comment section will eat Ooh. you high. Oh. <laughs> right? You cannot ask on Facebook. That is a bad idea. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's fantastic. And where can people reach you if they wanted to have your help? So the place where most of my information is right now is on Facebook. And my barn page is Horsehaven Stables, H-O-R-S-E-H-A-V-E-N Stables. It's in Hinkley, Ohio. So if more than one comes up, that's me. And I think my little icon right now says the stable riding lab and it's mint green. So that's me. But I also just tell people to, you can go to my website, horsehavenohio.com, H-O-R-S-E-H-A-V-E-N-O-H-I-O.com. And on both the Facebook page and the website is my cell phone that when you call me, it's just my phone because, um, I, that's what people just need to do. They just need to call me or text me. You know, it's just me. I don't like have a staff of people. <laughs> so if you call, this is who you get. And whenever anyone contacts me, the first thing I always say is let's schedule a phone call. Mm-hmm. And then I book out time and I sit down and I talk with them. And that's not something that happens a lot here in the United States. You can't get a hold of the horse trainer. You can't get a hold of the riding instructor. You know, okay. there used to just be a barn phone, like in the feed room that just rang and rang and rang forever. Ooh. <laughs> you know, you can't call yeah. the barn. Nobody answers. Well, So it's important for me that people have easy access to reach me because almost always after one phone call, they're, they want to try. Because they've been looking for something like this. So I want people to have as easy access to help as possible. Because a lot of times they've been looking for it for a lot of years. And I want to be able to provide them with that support. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I I love to hear about your dreams and visions and, and all the things. And every time there's happening something new when we're talking. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've been very busy. I'm a very busy beaver. I like to get stuff done, but I'm really pretty optimistic that moving forward, this stable riding system will work for riders and I'll be able to gain 
more platforms and be able to introduce it to more people because that's really what I want is I want to be able to show all the riders who need this kind of help that it exists and that it's simple and that they can achieve their goals. So that's my hope. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming today. It's, I had uh, such a good time. I know no goat this time. Maybe next time. Yeah. Bring the goat in. She's, she's out in the cold. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very furry. Very furry and very fat. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to you out there who have been listening to this. Yes. And uh, please subscribe so we can carry on each week and get new people in here exciting people every time i think it's fantastic thank you so much and have thank a great you. time <laughs>